Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today is retired NYPD detective, 21-year veteran, Intelligence Division 6-0 squad, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing today, Phil? I'm doing better today, and I got to apologize to everybody for yesterday's uh, little technical difficulties. I had uh, some issues with uh, my electronics from a lightning strike a day or two ago, but uh, we're back in business and glad to be here. You know, Phil should be really all lit up today because he was, you know, struck by lightning. And uh, I'm kind of glowing. I know it wreaks havoc on your like your your electronics in your house, but you know it can do wonders for you for a human being. Folks, if you like. Uh, uh, police real crime stories from a perspective of the police and please subscribe to police off the cuff real crime stories going on youtube hit that subscribe button ring that bell give us a thumbs up uh we'd be we'd love to have you we uh we're building up our channel and i think that you know we've shown that um we're a no-nonsense type of uh real crime channel and that we've done these cases before uh, we've all investigated hundreds of homicides. We bring in pertinent guests like yesterday. We had defense attorney Joe Murray, who also has a background in law enforcement. Good that man. adds a that adds a flavor to it that you don't get necessarily in other channels. Of course, unless unless you're duty Ron, who grabs some of the greatest <laughs> guests I've ever seen. Barbara Butcher, who's a real superstar, who I I've had on my show before, and of course he has some great crime scene. Uh, what was the crime scene uh, fellow's name? Oh, uh, uh, Eddie Wallace, great Eddie guy. Wallace, I worked with Eddie great. back in the eighties. Uh, yeah. Fantastic uh, crime scene investigator. Really, really takes his job serious. Always did, and uh, always will. He was fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, guys, let's get right right down to it. The Gabby Petito case. This case has just caught the hearts and minds of people, not just nationally but internationally. I see a lot of people in the chat from the UK from Ireland, from England, from South Africa, from all over the world. Because this case, for whatever reason, has really dragged our hearts into this thing. And, uh, you know, it, it brings a lot of issues into it. The law, uh, mistakes made by the police, which, you know, as I said, any profession makes mistakes. But it's glaring when it's uh, it's on camera and it's, it's viewed by millions of people on camera. But, you know, right now, uh, the thing that drove... Phil and I and a lot of people in law enforcement a little bit crazy. Joe, could I, uh, uh, Bill, could I just stop you for one second? You made a, a comment about uh, the, you know, possibly somebody making mistakes and stuff like that. There was something that you said on yesterday's show. I thought it was very, very important to point out. I'd like to do that now. Um, the only profession that I could come up with other than police officers is maybe correction officers that are constantly when they employ their, uh, their techniques or that when they're gamefully employed, what, whatever it is that they do, like police officers, we're now so scrutinized that we wear body cameras and, and in all interview rooms now have, and I know in the NYPD, there's three cameras in every interview room. So, and, and I'm okay with that because I think it could point out uh, some tremendous things that may be helpful. And if they, if we have a bad seat among us and every, 
profession may have good or bad that slips through the cracks. I mean, mostly good, but if there is a bad person that slips through the cracks and gets through all the processing, uh, those cameras might weed them out for doing something uh, improperly. I'm okay with that. So it, it's good and it's bad, but think about it. You brought up a surgeon. A surgeon is cutting into someone's body and there's a lot of malpractice things that go on. However, they're not on camera. Police officers, and the only thing of the profession I could think of was maybe correction officers that are constantly being uh, monitored uh, for, you know, possibly doing something wrong. And like I said, I'm okay with it. I'm sure you're okay with it, Bill, but uh, it really says something about the profession. And the reason I brought it up is that there's tremendous scrutiny that the Moab Police Department is coming on the, for that stop with Gabby and Brian on the, on the 12th of August. Uh, I, I really think that those guys went above and beyond. And uh, if you look at the whole uh, entirety of that video uh, and just try to be objective and uh, you know, you have to really think about uh, what they were dealing with at the time. I mean, hindsight is 2020 look back now, I guess those, those cops would probably want to do over, but it's not to be. And, uh, you know, but I just, I really think that they didn't do anything wrong. I think they, uh, really went above and beyond. Most cops probably wouldn't have even gone that far with a situation like that, but I just wanted to point that out. You know, Phil, uh, you're hundred percent correct. The scrutiny, I don't think many professions could withstand that type of scrutiny being on camera almost 24-7 and watching to see if you, you do your job properly. I mean, think of any profession you mentioned, surgeons, yes. Surgeons nationally, you know, how many huge mistakes leading to litigation occur every single day? But yet, have has the medical profession or the public suggested they wear body-worn video? But no, it's on law enforcement, and we accept it, and we, in, we embrace it now. Because I think Body One Video has actually shown how good the police profession is and how 95% of the time they're doing things correctly. You know, so uh, we, as I said, we embrace it. So anyway, let's get to what, what was a game changer in this? And we and you and I uh, discussed our displeasure with that term. And I almost feel like I'm beating this expression, like uh, beating a dead horse with it. But that expression, person of interest. I just, it just, it, the whole expression just drives me crazy because why don't you name someone a suspect when circumstantially uh, Brian Laundrie was, was absolutely a suspect from minute one that he drove home without her, with her van. And then when questioned, tried to be questioned, lawyered up. To me, he, he was no person of interest at that point. He, he was a suspect. Your feelings, Phil. Well, listen, uh, we've gone through uh, the person of interest thing. I, to me, I think it's just a media term. There was probably a press conference some number of years ago, and um, maybe the police wanted to talk to someone, and they said, well, is he a person of interest? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, the way that we do uh, our media uh, releases and stuff like that, we don't want to release too much information to the public on, on investigations a lot of times, just so the investigation's not compromised. So we might not call somebody a suspect right away for different reasons, but I think that was a media term. Yeah, he's a person of interest. We want to talk to him. Whatever it was, it, it really didn't make sense in this case. I mean, there was only two people on that trip, only one person returned. So I think that he was the first person that could be called into the realm of being considered a suspect. And that would have been the proper way to handle it. 
it is what it is. You know, this, this uh, person of interest term, we don't like it. We're not uh, comfortable with it because we don't think that that's even appropriate, but uh, it is, it, it is what it is. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the media controls a lot of the narrative sometimes, and uh, it could actually put words in your mouth on different occasions. That's what I think happened here. That was a media term that was made up. So here we are now, um, a warrant for his arrest, a federal warrant for uh, basically it's a grand larceny for um, illegally using an access device, an access device being a debit card that belonged to Gabby, which he used, I believe, on the September 30th and, and the, excuse me, August 30th and the 1st of September. And he charged over $1,000. So there, and you and I understand why they would do that, because they want to arrest him and put him inside and hold him there, if possible. I don't think this charge could hold him very long. But while they build this, uh, this murder case, while they build the case, because... Folks, uh, and I'll explain this to you, and uh, in no way am I an attorney. We, we had Joe Murray on yesterday. But once he say he is arrested for the murder of Gabby Petito, if that, in fact, does occur, from that day, the speedy trial clock, clock starts rolling, and the prosecution has to be ready to go to trial. Uh, I believe it might be 90 days, I think it is, after that, that motion is, is uh, set in place. So they understand that right now they don't have enough evidence that they feel that they could take this to trial and win. So for them to put him in jail for another charge to hold him there would be a beautiful thing as far as they're concerned. Yeah, Bill, you know, the, the right to speedy trial, the way uh, my understanding of it is, like you said, it's about 90 days. But that means that there's a hearing within that 90 day period, you go before the judge, both parties, prosecution, defense will go before the judge and they'll talk about, are you ready for trial? And the, uh, they'll make applications to, I guess I'm putting on my Joe Murray hat here, but they'll make applications to the, the court saying, well, we have to do this with regard to evidence, or we have to wait for that information. We're waiting for uh, toxicology reports, whatever it may be. So, uh, uh, and the judge will always grant it. Uh, all right, we'll go. We'll, we'll have another. Uh, we'll have another court date in six weeks or two months or whatever it is. So the right to speedy trial it has to be within reason. So when a case, most murder cases in New York go to trial, uh, usually eighteen months to two years is about the time that it takes because you're talking about a murder trial. You're taking away someone's uh, civil liberties for long periods of time. So there's private investigators listed to do uh, different things, and uh, so the the point. I'm trying to make is this um, when they arrest, try to arrest, or if, if they arrest Brian for these larceny charges or the credit card charges related to that, it's obviously a, uh, you know, it, it, it's a strategy to keep him. We know where he is. We got him in custody. And then they will make the application to the judge. And I, I went through this yesterday with Joe and Joe, who I love and respect. I think he's very passionate about his, uh, you know, about his, his craft. He's an attorney now and he knows both sides of the fence and, and we get along very well. I think Joe's a great guy. Um, the, 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 uh, the prosecution would make an application to the judge and say, He's arrested for this, which is the, the the credit card stuff, but we want him held on high bail, Your Honor, or remanded because uh, he has already, 
you know, uh, uh, demonstrated he's a flight risk because he's been in the wind. Now it's two days since that arrest warrant has been issued, but it's apparent that he's been in the wind and they can make that application. And, you know, it has to be reasonable if the judge thinks that, yeah, there is a cause that this guy was on the lam or he was missing person or whatever. However, the arrest warrant in the last two days, they may have been in touch with his attorney. They would say that we've been in touch with his attorney. Attorney doesn't know his whereabouts. And they'll say, Your Honor, we would like to have him kept in custody or with a high bail because we feel confident that he may be involved in a murder of Gabby Petito. So that's the strategy behind this maneuver. It's an excellent strategy. I am fully 100% behind it. And again, you don't, you know, we're not going for the, for the gold, you know, we're not going for the touchdown on the, on the credit card. It's not that it's about having him in place and listen, he'll answer it. If there's a case to be made, he'll answer those charges. That'll be part of the bigger picture if he's charged with murder. But the real goal is to get a hold of him, have him in custody. We know where he is. He's not going anywhere. And now we can continue with the murder investigation, putting all the pieces together, whether it be circumstantial evidence, physical evidence, uh, technical, you know, cell phone data, stuff like that. So whatever it is, they need time to put it together. And I have no problem with the speed and the pace at which they are uh, uh, going at at this point. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to a, a video with John Walsh and Ashley Banfield because, of course, John Walsh with his fugitive show now is, uh, yeah, I think he got over 500 tips of people that uh, have information on the whereabouts of Brian Laundry. Let's take a listen to this. Has set his sights on him. John, it's great to see you again. You had a show on Wednesday night on Investigation Discovery. It's in pursuit with John Walsh. You covered this story, and lo and behold, as is per usual for John Walsh, the tips start pouring in. Tell me how it's going. How many and how good are they? I will I'll tell you, Ashley, it was amazing, but I got to say one thing to all the viewers in that area. Swatting is against the law. It's dangerous. People get killed. Whoever called 911 to send the cops there because they heard a gunshot, they're going to trace your phone. They're going to go back to you and you're going to do some time. It's a horrible thing. No you're kidding, right? right? Terrible. So, Just terrible. Let me give you an update. We had at least three times more phone calls than we've had on any fugitive. This is the third season of In Pursuit. We've caught 26 wow. guys. We've covered eight missing kids. So people are watching the show. It's amazing. Um, and many people said they saw you and I together for a couple nights and said, you know, I watched and I, I got off the couch and, and I'm looking at this list here. We got about 500 tips and from everywhere. People thought that they'd spotted him in Portugal. You know, the world's a smaller place. And I've caught the 1,422 guys I caught. They were some of them I caught in different, the craziest places, 45 countries. So people hmm. texted us or called in from all over, Portugal, all over. People are talking about Cuba. But the, the good tips, 15 tips we had was what I had said, that the dirty laundry, dirty laundry mom and dad and the Johnny Cochran lawyer that you talk about, Stephen Bertolino, who I hope is he knows he's going to burn in hell for hiding all this stuff and giving all kinds of red herring tips to the police. He's the mouthpiece. And I know about client privilege and Fifth Amendment. I've been doing this for a whole long time. But boy, he knows a lot that he's not talking about. But anyways, many of the tips were my theory that they somehow, you know, when he got home from the trip and he didn't say anything to anybody for 10 days, 
this is not, and I know your lawyers are nervous. This is John Walsh's opinion has been doing this and caught 1,422 of uncatchable guys that the cops could never catch. So I got a little bit of experience, but I, when they got, when he got home, they scrubbed the van, he and his family, the dirty laundries, and I'm sure the FBI didn't find anything in the house. And during that time, they planned how to get him out. So daddy bought a camper top, a little white camper top. It's still in the driveway. And the neighbors who really only said it the other day, I was waiting in line in, on Fox News to talk to Martha McCallum and the neighbors walk out and say, you know, we were so surprised that, you know, about three days before Gabby's parents filed the missing persons report, three or four days, they didn't remember how, when it was exactly, that the Brian and the father put the camper top on the red pickup truck off they went strangely enough on september 11th the day that you know gabby was reported missing john let me ask you something real interesting about a development today brian enton just reported that this woman drove 60 miles to the laundry house she doesn't know them she didn't know brian she didn't know gabby but she came to knock that stake with those pictures of gabby saying i once lived here and i think what's so critical about this how this ties to you is that these are people who care they're the people who pick up the phone and they call you they're the people who check their ring cameras they're the people who check their drive cameras and are you getting people like like that who just feel an emotional connection to the story huge we haven't had this much attention since elizabeth smart and when the fbi wow. gave up and told the smarts that she was dead in the desert and they should have a memorial i never gave up i profiled her 17 times and a couple in sandy utah spotted her with the description i gave of the guy that took her but it is people so i, I want to finish about the leads i believe that when they took get left off in the piffa pickup truck they went northwest over the panhandle of Florida. And then Steve Berlino gets in it on Tuesday and says he's out in the desert and there were, I mean, in the swamp and they're worried and they found his car. How did they find his car in a 60,000 acre swamp? And we left a message, Brian, if you're killing yourself or thinking about it and you're hurt. And they said, oh, and we went back on Thursday and we got the car and then Bertolino didn't call the Friday. So I think they bought this guy nine days. He had a big head start. So I say, now, with all the chaos at the border, I caught 45 guys in Mexico. They drove them north over the panhandle, wherever they, you know, a little trip across Louisiana and Alabama first, then Louisiana. With all the chaos on the border, he could have walked with a monkey suit on across. You can walk into Mexico. There are no, no uh, border patrol, of Mex Mexican border patrol or customs or anything like that in most of the border. So we got a lot of tips. We got 15 tips that people had spotted him, and then that picture shows up in Mexico at a restaurant. I'm pretty sure that's not him, but I, I believe he was, you know, after after the camper trip, he was never there. And Bertolino kept feeding yeah. the bullshit like he did today about the wallet and all the crap. So well, let me, let me tell you. Okay, quickly, I got to fit in a break, though. I got to fit in a break. Um, okay, just wrap this one up, and I'll fit in a break. And I want to ask you about Bertolino, something new that's uh, arrived. I got a couple, I got a tip today from Freeport in the Bahamas. And a lady there believes she spotted him and she thinks that he, she said, there's never a white guy looked exactly like this guy walking in our neighborhood. You can take a ferry from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas and all you have to do is have your, you know, have, have a vaccine proof that you, did, you don't have COVID, show your passport and then you get on boats. Uh, the, the B used to be days, guys used to go down to St. Thomas. 
because American protectorate. So these lady in the Bahamas in Freeport says, I swear I saw him. And I thought, oh boy, if he got on a boat somewhere, they paid somebody off and he's going to be hard to find. But the other great tips were Appalachian Trail. One of Gabby's friends called this afternoon and said, I don't know why the cops don't know this. I told him that he, that Brian brags about how he lived on the Appalachian Trail for three months wow. in a tent and out of his backpack. So we got 10 tips from the Appalachian Trail. Northwestern corner, Panhandle corner of Florida, possibly into Mexico, Appalachian Trail. And I hope he doesn't get on those, I got on a boat in Freeport somewhere. They paid somebody to take him to another island. I used to work in the Bahamas. I was a hotel builder. So we've got some well, wonderful- those are those are fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Okay. So as you could see, uh, we all know the power of television is just unbelievable. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And uh, John Walsh, I mean, look, he, he's, he hasn't personally caught 1,400 fugitives, uh, but his show has enabled the police and the authorities to grab these people once they get the information. And I remember I was working um, on a Sunday morning one time, and um, John Walsh's show um, featured uh, a wanted perp from Manhattan Special Victims who was wanted for uh, attempted murder and a rape. His name was Stephen Peppuccino, and he was actually from Long Island. And that show showed, and the next morning the phone was ringing off the hook. He was seen at a couple of bars in Queens. And so I called the Queen's squad that was right down the block from the bar that they said he was in. And they went there and he was there and they walked in and they missed him. So in the interim, we were fl we flew out to Queens. We, you know, we drove out there with like six or eight detectives. Make a long story short, we 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 collared him in a, in another bar. And uh he was a nasty, nasty perp. And uh I think he got basically got life in prison after that, but it just shows you the power. They couldn't find them for like nine months. They featured them on America's Most Wanted, and the phone was ringing off the hook the next day. There's something I wanted to point out that John said right in the beginning of that segment, and I think it's very, very important. When he talked about swatting, swatting for people don't know is that uh, uh, somebody wants to break another person's chops. They'll call and say that they're being held at gunpoint and inside of a location. Uh, you know, they have rifles, whatever it is. And then naturally the police and SWAT teams respond and they knock on the door of whoever it is. And they're probably having coffee or, you know, laying on a, on a couch watching TV and it, and it upsets everything. It's totally ridiculous. It's dangerous. People could get hurt. I've had occasion where recently about five years ago, there was a murder investigation going on. It was right around the 4th of July that they released uh, video of the perpetrator, they, a, a short clip, a good picture of the, of the perpetrator. And um, it wound up leading to the arrest of the perpetrator. But in the first day that, uh, that the video was released, uh, some guy was uh, shooting fireworks off and his neighbor called up and says, oh, yeah, it's the guy. And they sent the police to the house to basically to break his chops about shooting fireworks off. So let's not uh, if you have something that you, you think is important, uh, obviously call it in. But uh, don't play games with uh, stuff like that. Uh, a quick story about John Walsh and America's Most Wanted when he was on that show. Back in 1986, I was involved in a shooting where uh, two Jamaican uh, uh, criminals uh, shot out the window of our car in a pursuit. Uh, we wound up uh, returned fire. Uh, I shot one of the guys, and uh, the second guy got away. 
Uh, two years later, uh, he was uh, he was actually profiled on America's Most Wanted for a uh, six people killed out in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, that was on a Saturday evening. They profiled him. Uh, it wasn't on my case. He had been in the wind on my case for shooting at us. And uh, he was actually captured the next day back in New York uh, uh, through America's Most Wanted. So it's obviously an effective tool. John Walsh, uh, he lost his son years back and got him involved in the uh, America's Most Wanted stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a team effort, obviously, where – uh, you know, people call in the tips, uh, they, they get the tips and they send them out to the law enforcement agencies and then they're followed up. And a lot of times they do lead to successful results with capturing perpetrators, returning lost uh, or, or uh, kidnapped children. So uh, it's a great thing. And just let's stay with the facts of this case and don't start, uh, you know, playing games with this swatting stuff or anything like that. Well, you know, Phil, just the the um, the power of television is immense, and it's now it's not even um, it's just television; it's social media. I remember when I was in college, back in back in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, there was a sociologist named Marshall McLuhan that called television the vast wasteland. But now you could say the same thing about the internet; it's a vast wasteland of information. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of the internet is good and some of the internet is bad. So we have to sort through this and sift through all this stuff. And, uh, you know, look at all the information coming on the on the, on the uh, internet, on YouTube. Look at all the different shows. Some of the information, and, and I'd just like to let you guys know, as police, we will never play anything that we, un, until we can vet it as being correct, being true. There's been a lot of stuff... Um, out there, and I, I wouldn't play the video of the van door opening, and I it probably is true, but I couldn't vet that it was true, so I wasn't going to play it. I mentioned it. I know Duty Ron played it on his show. He was satisfied that the video wasn't doctored and it was it was correct, and he he put it up there, but I didn't have enough time to vet it, so I I, I never played it. So I I just tr will play information or go with information that is either given to us by law enforcement or is, is vetted in some way, or else you're just sort of perpetuating a, a rumor, you know? You, you know, Bill, I did watch that video that you're uh, uh, referencing, and that video, um, it appears that it's it's probably true, and I don't think it made that much difference uh, with, regard to the, uh, with regard to the homicide investigation because um, the van was located, uh, the search was conducted shortly thereafter, uh, Gabby was found. Now, all that is going to tell us is that either someone was in that van or about to get out of that van. But uh, if you do look at that video, there's some other stuff that they point out about the sandals and stuff. So, I mean, it's very difficult to see. You have to really, uh, the, the guy that did the video even says, if you're looking at it on a cell phone, it's going to be difficult to see. You're better off on a big screen. And then you can see it looks like the van door does close uh, right before they're approaching. And it would make sense if he was in or she was in or somebody was getting out and a van was driving up towards them uh, and they closed the van, uh, they closed the door. So, but I don't think it's that pertinent to uh, what took place or the investigation. It may only prove that someone was in the van at that time. And I don't think it's uh, of grave importance. You know, someone was asking in the chat, what's the FBI has what's called a fusion center. And I, I'm just, uh, assuming that it's sort of the same thing as like a war room with all kinds of computer programs, with all kinds of 
uh, investigative tools that they would use in a large investigation like this. The NYPD has a unit called the Real-Time Crime Center, and it has all the high-tech computer programs. And Phil and I had mentioned when you search for someone, one of the most useful programs is called AutoTrack. It used to be called Faces of the Nation. And it could pull up things about an individual that are not known by anyone, licenses, homes, cars owned in the history of your life, how many cars that you own, relatives, uh, family members in other states, um, homes, that you, jobs that you've had. It's almost like something called mind mapping where they can pull up everything about an individual on the computer, but in one place. So in a FBI fusion center, that would be one of the things they would have these high-tech computer systems. In addition, they would have the ability to look up phone numbers in what's called a phone finder database. And what they, that does is puts a phone number in the database. And if it was used in, in any uh, way to call an emergency room, to call 911, to call, it's in the database and the number's identified as to who it belongs to. So these are unbelievable investigative tools that the police and the FBI has. And I would imagine the FBI has tools that are much better uh, than local police departments because they have the federal money, the, the deep, deep pockets of the federal government that is paid for by our taxes. Yeah, the real-time crime center in the NYPD that you were referencing, Bill, um, it has access to hundreds and probably thousands of video cameras throughout New York City. It has access to any city agencies regarding traffic cameras. There are plate readers that are tied into that uh, that center. So, and, and they have also access to every uh, city agency, whether it be the fire department, EMS, uh, or, or correction department. So it, it's, it's, it's a real hub. It's a center of uh, technology, so to speak. And uh, if something is going on and they call it the real time crime center, cause everything's in real time. So if something's going on, um, you know, within the city uh, and someone, they get a plate number, someone does something, they get a plate number. They could actually see if the plates plate number is hitting different locations throughout the city and help the police with maybe an aviation unit, a helicopter up in the air and uh, help to uh, find that, uh, that individual that they're searching for or that vehicle. So it's a, it's a great, great, um, it's a great unit. Um, you know, they talk about the NYPD as being number one, it's the largest police department in the world. And that sign behind me, which says the, the NYPD detectives are the greatest detectives in the world. It's not braggadocious. I don't want people to get that. I'm not trying to brag. I was part of a brotherhood and I still remain part of uh, the union, the Detectives Endowment Association. And um, there was a cowboy show years ago. It was called the Guns of Will Sonnet. And one of the uh, things that the, the guy would say on the show was, it's not brag, just fact. And and these are facts. And, you know. That, I, was, that, I, was, that was Walter Brennan, right? That's it, right? No, no, brag, no, brag, just fa- no brag, just fact. No brag, just fact. And, and listen, uh-huh. there's probably very, very competent police departments throughout the United States. I think you mentioned yesterday Chicago and uh, and L.A. and stuff like that. Or th- We all try to help one another. So if I pick up the phone and I'm in the NYPD and I have something going on in Pennsylvania, I get a local law enforcement, they jump to help us. They call me, I'm jumping to help them. So we all work together, but we do have the largest police department in the world. Uh, we also have probably one of the highest technology departments in the world. I mean, the FBI may have something 
a little bit more uh, better than us or whatever. But uh, again, we, we all try to work together. And these are facts. Not trying to brag. I'm just very proud of my standing in the NYPD, spending many of, of my years, most, just about uh, you know, 90% of my career was in the detective bureau. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, proud to do it. And, and regarding this case, all the stuff that we're talking about, it comes from experience. Billy, you were talking about yesterday, how, you know, you're not so confident about FBI investigators investigating murders. Great point, Billy. And I, and I really have to touch on this because it comes with experience, not trying to take anything away from anyone else in law enforcement, but when we were in the detective bureau, we were generally dealing with dead bodies and murders on, on a, I wouldn't say exactly a daily basis, every single day. There were periods of time in the dead of winter when there'd be three, four days when the homicide squad wouldn't go out on a murder case. But, you know, generally we dealt with it a lot. And, you know, if you do any activity repetitiously, you always get better at it. And that's the point I think you were trying to make, Bill. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, experience has its benefits. 100%. You know, I wanted to mention one thing. The fact that the um, Brian Laundrie's mother and father went to see his attorney in Orlando the other day, does that, does that have any meaning to you? I mean – yeah, of course. I think that she went to go see the attorney. I think it was after the arrest warrant was announced, correct? Is that what you're referencing? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it means something. It means that they probably know where he is, and they, of course, know that he's alive. Why else would they go see the attorney? Well, well, I would think that once the arrest warrant was issued, now, if she went to see the attorney, I don't know if the attorney called her and said, come to my office and he'd speak with you, or if she called the attorney and said, I want to speak to you. But I would hope and pray that he would caution them that if you now have contact with Brian or if you help him and aid him, you could be facing criminal charges, which we talked about. And we hope that, uh, you know, maybe even now, whatever actions they took to try and help him, that they could be charged because uh, they, they, they really, you know, they, they exhibited behavior that was not against the law, as Joe Murray pointed out yesterday, you're not obligated to make a phone call in a situation where the son comes back from this two month long trip and he doesn't have Gabby who was living with them. They were all living together. She, she was living under their roof. She doesn't return. Now, whatever explanation he gave, they didn't have an obligation to pick up the phone and call Gabby's parents. However, when Gabby's family reached out to them, and they ignored her phone calls, their phone calls or their texts or whatever it was, whatever communication they used. That's unethical to me. They should have picked up the phone and said something. And to date, and I think you and I talked about this, Bill, last night. To date, they have not said one word publicly about condolences on the death of Gabby Petito or sending positive thoughts to the family as we have. And that family tomorrow has to bury, well, they're going to mourn their daughter and I believe she's going to be buried on Monday. That family's going through a horrible, horrible situation. It would have put a different spin on things. And I don't know how it would have been received, but they would have showed that they had some kind of empathy if they had made some kind of a uh, release to the media saying that they offered condolences on the death of Gabby. You know, folks, uh, Sergeant Melinda, one of our uh, big supporters of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, she sent me the copies of the warrants. However, they're not really, um, it's not so clear when you when I put it up on the screen. 
but this is the uh, copy of um, of the arrest warrants. I want to thank. They're, they're readable, Bill. They're not that bad. You can make them out pretty okay. much. Okay. Well, Some that's... stuff that's a little blurry on the one on the right, but basically, I mean, we know what it says. So go ahead, uh, Bill. Okay, and I also want to bring up that, uh, and uh, Sergeant Melinda, thank you for this too. Sunday, uh, out on Holbrook, Long Island, from twelve to five, there is a, a services for um, Gabby Petito. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact uh, funeral home name. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get that for you. If folks are out here on Long Island and they want to show their support to the family to go out to Holbrook, Long Island, uh, that's when the services are going to be from 12 to 5 tomorrow. Yeah, that's uh, – I can't even my, – my deepest sympathy and condolences for that family. That's just they, – they're going to they're gonna have a hard – couple of days going forward and I, I just want to hope and pray that they can get through it and that they you know if they're religious you know pray and and, and you know god bless them and uh anybody out there just say a prayer for them and have good thoughts for them if you're not religious and um you know the next thing i think we should be talking about is brian uh, we want to get brian i think that would be one step closer to justice for this family and it may give them a little bit of comfort and, uh, you know, it, it, closure is never going to happen for this family. It, it's just, I don't see, you lose a child, there is no closure. There's no closure. There's there's getting through life day to day, maybe. That's the only thing I could think of. And uh, But uh, maybe the, the wheels of justice turning may give them some comfort, uh, may help them to get through those days that they know that this scumbag is not out there uh, doing whatever he's doing. And, uh, you know, uh they're going to have a tough time and, and we just got, we got to get Brian. That's what we got to do. I'm going to just play this quick um, video here. And it's another FBI agent commenting on the manhunt for Brian laundry. Seems like retired FBI agents come out of the woodwork for this type of stuff. Where your cell phone's trackable, but he could have taken an iPad or a computer with him or some other kind of electronic device that he does. He's unaware is trackable. So I'm sure the FBI is on that. I'm sure they know all his electronic devices that he had in his possession or Gabby had in her possession, and they're scouring those for clues to where he may have gone. So to you, it wouldn't mean that maybe potentially he wasn't coming back and that he did want to harm himself? That, that is, I would say that's a, that's a possibility when you leave and you don't take anything like that with you, those valuable things everybody uses in, a daily, in their daily life. That would suggest he's, he's in an unstable mental state. And as we've seen and as we've covered, the search has been going on now for nearly a week. There's so much manpower involved. How long do you anticipate law enforcement and search and rescue crews will keep devoting the efforts to find Brian Laundrie? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the FBI could, could have this going on for months, to be honest with you. I mean, because it is a missing person thing. It is interstate and their statues. They're going to have a team on this for a long time until there's some resolution. Um, as for the local and the state officials, you know, they may be overwhelmed with other things that are more important that come up as the weeks and months go on. So I don't know if they'll taper back or not, but certainly the FBI will maintain a presence on it. And obviously there is huge backlash against Laundry's family. People are protesting outside their home. The media has been camped out there for a week. So I don't know if you can speak to similar cases. Does law enforcement also have to take steps to protect them too? Yes, they do. They're going to have to, they'll have people on board. It's probably the more the locals that'll have people there at the house, making sure there's not angry citizens or people who care that want to go and do harm to the family members or, or try to do their own investigations and interfere with it. So there'll be a presence there to protect the family.
And as this investigation goes on, we know that Gabby has been now recovered. What are your impressions a weekend now? It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look good. Certainly, it doesn't look good for Brian. Uh, if he's, if he wasn't involved, he'd have come forward by now. He would have said something. Um, the fact that he's missing means either he's on the run, he's hiding out, or he's injured himself. So there's, there's no real upside to the outcome the way I see it at this point. And it's hard to imagine where he could be on the run with the whole nation paying attention to this story, to seeing his face and recognizing him at this point, right? It'd be very hard for him to hide in this day and age with cameras at gas stations and supermarkets and facial recognition. That's something the Bureau did after the January 6th stuff is they're going to be taking his image and running it through social media feeds, gas station feeds. They pick up on any points of exit from the area to see if they can pick up his face. So if he's on the run, he will be found. I mean, there's only a matter of time before our camera gets him. All right, Matthew Young, thank you so much for joining us. So there you have it. Uh, Meg Lowe, thank you so much for the 1999 super sticker. I really appreciate the support from you guys. Um, Cleta Newby, thank you for the $3 super sticker. We want to mention, you know, that it, I, I get sort of uh, – the FBI isn't the only – law enforcement jurisdiction looking for Brian Laundrie. It would seem, listening to these talking heads on these stations, that that's the only – local law enforcement is probably 10 times or 50 times the size of the FBI. So the chances of him getting caught is going to be more likely by a local police organization than by the FBI. But he correctly was talking about all the technology out there, the cameras, facial recognition, and all this stuff, and he, he can't hide from a camera. So he's correctly mentioning that, and that is the technology. Uh, besides, if he uses an electronic device himself or a debit card, or you know, he's probably not using his own. They said he left his phone and his his wallet at home. You think that was not premeditated? Of course it was, because he knows those are trackable. What if his parents gave him an untrackable debit card that they don't know about? A business card registered to their business. They do. They own a business. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration. And those are the things that law enforcement, the FBI, local law enforcement have to find out what he's using to survive uh, financially or what electronic devices to communicate with. Bill, you can walk into any CVS, Walmart, whatever, and purchase gift cards, American Express gift cards. You can load them 500, you know, whatever. And they have a number on them. It's just like a credit card. You walk into any location and you just swipe it like it's a credit card. So it's kind of in the area of non-traceable, but, you know, maybe they could uh, see where it was purchased or check local uh, stores. I'm sure the FBI is all over us. Um, going back to local law enforcement, the search that's being conducted in that area in Florida, that 25,000 acre area, I saw a news report just before we went on the air and the reporter asked, uh, I guess, who was ever in charge of that search team uh, about, you know, do you think he's here? Is It doesn't seem likely. He basically said, we're doing our due diligence with the information we have. So I, I, that didn't sound very convincing to me. He almost was like a little uh, angry that he was being asked that question. That's what I was getting from his response. So I, I don't know if I, I, it was like he was being second guessed. So I understand the way he answered it, but I don't know if they're real certain that he's even in that area as the uh, uh, representative of that search team said, and he was from law enforcement. Um, 
We're doing our due diligence to try and find him if he's here. I mean, they're going with the information that they have. Uh, the family reported missing. They said he went into this area. The car was recovered allegedly there, although the, the family lied about that because they said they recovered, went and recovered the car on Thursday after he went out on Tuesday of last week. Yet um, they say that the car was 100% spotted in the driveway. This is the Mustang, uh, not Gabby's vehicle. It was the Mustang. I believe it's the mother's car, but he took it allegedly to go on this hike. And 100%, it was spotted in the driveway on Wednesday. So they gave misinformation for, to the police right there. That's one lie. Um, and I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was intentional. Uh, like John Walsh said in his segment, uh, these people gave Brian a head start on law enforcement. There's no question about it. Um, and I'm just hoping and praying that maybe there's going to be a tip or maybe he's going to use some electrical device, uh, electronic device, I'm sorry, or a credit card or, or a debit card, or even one of these cards that I talk about, a prepaid debit or a prepaid gift card, uh, and that they can track it to him, his location, his whereabouts, and find him and bring him to justice. And I think it's just a matter of time before we're going to know uh, his whereabouts, Bill. 100%. Let me just show a quick um Video you know, here of this part of the search. Animals, you got everybody out there. You know, it's tough. Investigators have spent six days strutting through the mud and muck, searching for Brian Laundry or for any signs that he may have been here. Norport police say behind the scenes, intelligence and the word of Laundry's parents brought them here. This is wearing on everyone. Everybody has a, a level of stress. Um, everybody has the drive, and that's really what's carrying us through is the drive to try to find Brian and try to put closure to this investigation. Agencies from across the state joined the effort, combing through 25,000 acres of marshland with water so dark you can disappear into the deep. They're looking everywhere to kind of see what's around them, what's above them, uh, and they're keeping an eye out for one another. As the search through the wilderness continues here, another search goes on behind the scenes. Edmund Hartnett is a retired NYPD deputy chief who now works as a law enforcement consultant. I'm sure they're checking every device and every related device, be that uh, <coughs> phones, tablets, uh, personal computers, license plate readers. And with an arrest warrant for bank fraud, once laundry is found and the cuffs go on, he will be brought before a judge. I think it's moving quickly and judging by my past experience, I think this will, will uh, have a resolution fairly soon. Yeah, and that's everything that every Eddie Hartnett, former NYPD chief, police commissioner of Yonkers. See, we got to we got to give him credit. He, he he was my chief when I was in the intelligence division. Good man. He's been Good he's man. been on our show several times. Yes, great, I know. Great I know. great man. You know, I didn't yeah. know he was uh, a talking head on this, but I'll have to uh, say I, I say he was on our show accidentally. We just put him on the show. You know. Yes. Yes. You know, one yes. of the things also, uh, Phil, is that. You know, the whole th the, when we think of how this was has played out, the whole thing about him, the parents reporting him as a missing person, I think that was so ludicrous that we mentioned numerous times that a missing person does not include someone wanted on a warrant or someone wanted for a crime. So even though they didn't name him as a suspect in this, I think he almost fit that criteria. So how did they were allowed to take a missing person report on someone who was really very close to being wanted for a crime? I just don't understand it. 
Yeah, th- that should have been really scrutinized right at the beginning. When they walked into the police station, uh, maybe they did scrutinize it. Maybe they did give a lot of uh, pushback on it. Uh, maybe they showed up with their attorney. And, uh, you know, sometimes with an attorney present, it gives a little bit more weight to uh, what they're trying to report. But uh, it, it, it's really uh, it, it's not a, a good look for them. Uh, the whole thing stinks. And, uh, you know, whether he is in that Carlton Reserve, that 25,000 acre nature preserve, which the survivalists have said it's almost impossible to survive this long, whether he's there or whether he's on the run somewhere, sooner or later, his supplies are going to run out, his money's going to run out, uh, his ability to remain in hiding. That's why I feel certain and confident that he's going to pop up somewhere. And, uh, you know, he may just get worn down and, and, you know, he can't take being secluded wherever he is and he may just you know decide to say i have to face the music there's an arrest warrant maybe he'll turn himself in and that would show some some uh some guts you know to uh try and face the music um and listen he's already got an attorney we know how the criminal justice system works so uh i would really implore him to do that 100 percent. retired sergeant melinda thank you so much for the 99.99 super chat Sergeant Melinda says, I love this family the best. Thank you all so much. Lifting Gabby's family, friends, and the world up to Jesus during this time and the times to come. Social media cracked this case. I watched the news where the agent said wonderful things about you all. So I'm so proud of you all. I guess, Sergeant Melinda, you must be from down south. I love the alls. As as we say words that we criticize for like coffee and boss, you say you all, and we love that. We love that how that sounds. That, thank you so much, Sergeant Melinda. That was just a beautiful comment. Thank you so much. It's really appreciated. There are good people out there that support law enforcement way more than the ones that want to defund us and stuff like that. That's so for sure. Very, very encouraging when you see things like that. Daisy, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. Why did law enforcement seize their truck and parents' phones, especially given neighbor stating they all left on the 11th? Well, you know, things have to be done according to the law and just seizing it without probable cause. Uh, I don't know if that that would have been a good idea. So they have to take their time. They have to work within the parameters of the law. I hope I answered your question, Daisy. You you know, Bill, the phones would be very telling and important. Maybe there was text messages going back and forth indicating what their plan was too. So I don't see a problem with any of that. And I think it was the right thing to do. And listen, we got to, you know, pull out all stops to try and capture this guy. Vicky Lund, thank you for the $5 Super Chat. This guy has a lot of traits like the Unabomber from the 80s. For example, odd, loner, angry, not happy with humanity, and adaptive to living off the grid. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that Phil and I had said early on in the investigation, we felt that he was going to commit suicide. And then seeing and looking more into his personality, I felt that he didn't have the guts to kill himself that I felt that he was a bit of a weasel and uh, he's, he's going to stay out there till he's caught. That's my feelings now anyway. Yeah, Bill, I'm glad you brought that up because when we got a, you know, that was the early stages. We see, you know, we were kind of thinking in a typical way, somebody that's wanted for a murder, they killed their wife or their husband or whatever it is, girlfriend, fiance. And a lot of times when they're on the run, they would commit suicide. We were leaning towards that in the beginning. But then we found that a lot of things over the course of the last week and a half, two weeks that this all started. And we found out from Gabby's friends that specifically, 
he was very possessive of her. He actually uh, took her driver's license away so she couldn't go with her friends to a bar, uh, things like that. He, he exhibited real uh, possessive uh, behavior, uh, some type of a, uh, the tracking on the phones. He turned it off. He, he didn't want himself tracked or wh whatever the case may be. But the point is that there was a lot of disputes between them. They're, they appear to have had a volatile relationship and that he was way more abusive than he appeared in that video that, uh, you know, the police body uh, cameras from the 12th. He appeared to be much more uh, violent and much more uh, abusive towards her uh, than, you know, we knew at that time. That's why we're thinking that. But now that we know from all these interviews and these people coming forward and the talk about the, uh, the odd and unusual behavior in that restaurant on the 27th of August, that uh, led to a, a meltdown that uh, he had to be thrown out of a restaurant, uh, him and Gabby, and then Gabby went in and apologized to the uh, to the host at the restaurant. So uh, all of these things that came out now, we're seeing a much more like a narcissistic behavior, abusive, uh, controlling, possessive. So uh, fitting all the categories of someone that would, uh, would kill their uh, significant other. 100% super miss 1100. Thank you for the $5 super chat. All you folks that are in the green font, thank you. You're in the YouTube uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories family. We thank you so much for your support. And again, anyone who's coming into this channel for the first time, please go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring the bell, tell us, send us messages on how much you love us. We we need retired cops need love too, you know. <laughs> we just we, we we get all our, we get all our love from you guys and we really appreciate it but uh it helps you know doing this case it's so uh and i feel somewhat new to podcasting he's although he's jumped in like a super veteran but one of the things that really helps you to do it, it it almost makes you feel like you're back into the police world and back into doing a real investigation and and reporting on it and using the skills that you used over a long career, I sound like uh, Liam Neeson in Taken. You know, I have, a, I have a very particular set of skills. But, yeah, that's some of the things that we like, and it brings back memories of, and we jar and use these skills that we used over a long career, and it really makes us feel like we're back in the hunt. Phil, do you feel the same way about that? Oh, listen, 100%. And, you know, th this whole podcast thing that, you know, I got involved in with you, Bill. And, uh, you know, it started out, I came on your show to tell a story or, or just an interview. And then we just started to roll with it. And it's really, uh, I feel like we're getting good at it. We're getting better at it. We're trying to hone our skills. And, and trust me, guys, it's not about money or anything like that. It's about being involved, showing our expertise. And again, you know, I'm, I'm retired a number of years and, but I have, you know, my, my whole adult life was spent in law enforcement. I stay connected with uh, law enforcement till this day. Uh, you know, I, I, I was out last night and I saw some cops that I knew and they, they had seen me on the podcast and uh, they were like, yeah, hey, you know, you guys are doing a great job. Everybody feels very connected to this particular case. But uh, I was also having a conversation last night with a friend of mine who, is a civilian. And, you know, uh, we were in a crowded place and, uh, you know, I kept, you know, I, I just tend to kind of look around and I'm always trying to see what's going on around me. And he was getting annoyed with me. <laughs> he thought I wasn't paying attention to his, uh, his conversation. And I said, listen, you got to understand something. 
I come from a world, I was a cop, I was trained. It's like a Marine. A Marine goes through training and, you know, they, 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 you know, they exhibit their skills and they, they do whatever they have to do in war. I was like that, but on a different level, I was a cop for a lot of years. I was an investigator and I just, you know, it, it, it it's described as having running blue running through your veins. And, you know, you're never going to, I was told by a psychologist, it's never going to, you know, it's, ne uh, it's never going to wash out of your body was the word that she used. You're always going to be that police officer mentality, that mind, that's the way you're going to be. And when I tried to explain it to me, he goes, Oh no, Mar Marines are trained to kill. Uh, I said, listen, you're not getting what I'm saying. It's, it's from being, you know, when I was a rookie cop and I was standing on a foot post in a very high crime area and had my back to the wall, you know, and, and at any second things could break out and they did, you know, you become, uh, I don't know if there's a, a high alert. It's, it's called, it's called super vigilance. Exactly. You become highly vigilant. Too. And, and the thing is that, you know, once you've done that for a period of time, I mean, my law enforcement career was over 21 years, close to 22 years. And, you know, uh, that's something that's not going to wash out so quickly. And, uh, and I always took it very seriously. You know, I was an active cop, Bill, you were an active cop in, in all your time. And uh, you're more than me, you had like 27 years. So not to try and be in braggadocious, it's just something that, you know, people, just they don't really get it unless you're in the law enforcement world. There's a certain swagger. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Maureen Hannon, thank you so much for joining the Police Off the Cuff family. I can see you're in, highlighted in green. Welcome. Uh, we love to have you aboard. Guys, we're going to stay with this case as long uh, as Brian's out there and probably even when he eventually does get apprehended or there's some closure to this case because, you know, people have asked also, the press has asked and people in the chat have asked, why is this Why is this case so popular? And why is there so much attention and so much money being spent on this case? And there's missing people every single day. You're right. For some reason, this has caught the public's, um, you know, their heartstrings. And it's, it's not just popular in this country. It's popular internationally. So it's a case of a young couple that purportedly were in love and things went horribly wrong and that's why i guess people can see these two young kids and gabby as their daughter and maybe god forbid looking at brian as your son and think of something that could horribly go wrong if you have a son in your son's life and how would you react to that and i there's no way i would react the way uh brian's parents are but just it's, I'm sure e being on either side of that fence would be horrible, but specifically more so with Gabby Petito, who is this young, beautiful girl. And that's why it's course, it's basically got the imagination of the whole world. And I hope I answered that question for the folks that were asking it in the chat. I just want to comment a little further, Bill. I think there are two, two components to why it caught so much international attention. And I think one is that... Uh, the video, the 12th, on August the 12th, the, the video with the interaction with the police, you see a real live person. You see her upset. You see her, uh, you know, who she is, uh, what she's really about. And she's a real live human being. And then you see the actions that took place on September the 1st when Brian returned with her vehicle without her and shut down and, and, and retained an attorney. The, the, it was just such an outrage that you could do such a thing. Now, the other part of it is too that 
she was living with that family for two years. She was part of that family for two years. And them shutting down like that is just, it's such an outrageous thing that I think those two things, you saw that video where, you know, it was played. I mean, it was the whole video is like an hour long, but they were playing uh, minutes of it on, 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 uh, on the news and stuff. And uh, you see a real person that's alive and, you know, upset and she's now missing. And then you have this guy and his family that just shut down and, and it's, it's really disgusting. And I think that's what the outrage, outrage was. Now, listen, all these other missing person cases or any murder case, anything like that, they deserve the attention of law enforcement, the full attention. This case just, however, you know, caught on because of those facts. That's what my opinion is. And, uh, and I'm not saying anything, you know, that other cases shouldn't get media attention. They all should get the same attention and law enforcement is usually diligent in their, uh, pursuit for justice on people and, uh, you know, murder cases, missing person cases. So, uh, I think that's what, what caused the, uh, the international attention on this case, Bill. 100% serendipity. Another new member of the, uh, Police Off the Cuff uh, YouTube family. Thank you so much. Lisa Jennings, thank you so much for the 499 Super Chat. Again, if you like things, real crime stories from a police perspective, uh, please subscribe to our channel. Hit the subscribe button. Ring that bell. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're gonna. We're really interested in, 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 this, in, in this case, obviously. We've been on it uh, almost since the beginning. And um, it's just, it is fascinating. And when you see the, how the wheels of justice are trying to close in, I just like to mention that the best people that could possibly uh, be searching for Brian now is a unit called the Fugitive Enforcement Unit, and those guys are the best. Whether they're federal or they're the local guys, the Fugitive Enforcement people, they they do this for a living, and uh, I wouldn't want them on my tail if I was trying to get away, because they will find you and they will bring you to justice. You know, Phil, we're going to go to a quick uh, commercial. Uh, There's one for uh, Joe Murray. <laughs> Joe Murray, attorney at law. Good man, good friend of police off the cuff, big supporter. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. The coffee will provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. 50% of the profits go to officers' family in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. And again, go to the website, policecoffee.com to order. Uh, you know, folks, I, I actually ordered that coffee myself, and it's fantastic. They're actually out of Salt Lake City. Uh, it's really a great, a great product. And again, you could be helping the police on a national level if you uh, buy their product. 
So Phil, one of the things, uh, you know, we went, we were on last night and I was on with, uh, attorney Joe Murray and you had a problem with your Wi-Fi. I'm glad we, you were able to make it in today because people, I looked in the chat, people were missing you. I don't know why, but people were saying they missed you. <laughs> and, uh, so we did this show today. We brought you back in. But, you know, it's important that we reiterate some of the things that we were talking about. I don't want to go back over the autopsy. I just want to bring out the fact that the um, cause of death has never been published. And Barbara Butcher, who was on duty, Ron's show the other night, said that there's no doubt that at this point they know the cause of death. They just um, haven't published it. Uh what do you think they're holding that so close to the vest? Well, I, I don't think it's uh, unusual. Um, you know, there's there's no need to uh, discuss uh, specific parts of the cause of death at this point because no one's uh, arrested and charged. I mean, you might discuss that at an arraignment. Uh, the, the cause of death was, you know, whatever it's going to be, uh, suffocation or something like that. And I think a lot of it may be undetermined at this point based on uh, toxicology results, uh, examination, further examination of tissue, uh, different things like that that are, are going to be on the autopsy. And then don't forget, too, uh, we talked about the crime scene uh, where the body was found. There may be stuff collected in that area that has to be analyzed to see if it ties Brian to the crime scene, uh, stuff recovered from a body. We talked about transfer evidence. Uh, there could be serology. There could be a lot of different things. So I, I, I'm not in a rush to release cause of death myself in something like that. I'm okay with that. Um, ruling it a homicide, uh, I think was, was very easy to do, uh, based on the fact that, uh, you know, she was 20 years old and didn't die of natural causes or 22 years old. So, I mean, you know, and, and the, the manner of death, I mean, just, you could probably, uh, have a, a good idea of what the cause of death was right at the scene. If the body was intact enough, uh, without the, uh, the actual autopsy being done, you know, we talked about petechial hemorrhaging in the eyeballs, uh, which would indicate strangulation, marks on the neck, which would also indicate strangulation. And if the body uh, appeared to be stabbed or shot, uh, those are obvious signs and, and indications of a person not dying of natural causes. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think that the pace that they're moving, I'm okay with it. There's no rush to, you know, you, you two, you and I, Bill, we were in the NYPD. We were in a rush to talk to the news media about uh, specific details of any uh, murder investigation or any case, uh, unless there were things that we wanted to get out there. Now, there is an obligation, like when a person dies and they're identified in a homicide, let's say, um, at some point, the information becomes public knowledge and you have to release it. I get that. But you don't have to talk about specific details of your homicide investigation that you're, you're investigating, trying to put someone behind bars that might compromise that, you know, the less that people know when I mean, when I mean my people suspects know about what you know is the better for you in your investigation. So I, I'm quite okay with that, Bill. You know, someone in the chat, I'm just going to answer a few questions in the chat. Sure. Do, you, do, do we think that um, Brian's in the Carlton Reserve? And I said early on, I think there's no way he's in that reserve. Because I think that it's doubtful. It's, it's highly his, doubtful. His family choreographed his escape, and they that they that's a smokescreen, I think. Uh, so Ashley Dalziel, no, Phil and I do not think he's in the um, in that swamp. The lamb is the light about Brian's public temper. Usually your public actions are your best foot forward. I can only imagine what went on in private, obvious to us 
now, unfortunately. Less, yes, the lamb is light. Very uh, true statement. Uh, what do we got? Joe Murray, I thought you were going to have some questions, but he, he Joe Murray just has answers. He has no questions, you know. Uh, if I ever need a defense lawyer, I'm calling Joe. How much to travel to Canada? Oh, my God. He's... <laughs> He's already banging down five fifty an hour, and then take him to Canada. Forget about it. You have to buy him a dog sled, and uh, you know, some some cold. I, I have here. to say this about Joe, and I fully respect this. He's a great defense attorney, and he's passionate about his craft, and that is important. You know, there's an old saying that if you do something you like for employment, you'll never work a day in your life. You can see that Joe. He was obviously a great cop. He was passionate about law enforcement. He he. he you know, he transitioned over to uh, a defense attorney. And a lot of people will talk about, well, how come he's not a prosecutor? He went the defense attorney route. That's quite okay. I love the fact that the guy is passionate. And when we talk about different things, he, he, he makes you think. A lot of the questions that he posts when we talk about specific areas of this case or the other cases that we've talked about in the past, he gets you thinking. And that's important. That's a, that's a very good thing. And you got to really um, uh, appreciate his passionate for his for his field for his uh uh you know being a criminal defense attorney 100 we love joe murray and we also know that you know he was on the other the good side of the fence with the popo with the police <laughs> and now he crossed over to the dark side to the defense attorney side but at the end I of the day we could all have a beer and be friends about it. That's listen. I was always that way with defense attorneys on trials. There were occasions where they got nasty with me and they got disrespectful, and I wouldn't even look at them. And but there are other times when listen, you got a job to do, I got a job to do. And when we walked out of the courtroom, we could talk and be friendly and even sit down and have lunch or something. So, and again, Joe, uh, we're, we're you know we have a friendship with Joe outside of the podcast and stuff, and uh, he's a great guy, and we just we appreciate his uh, his perspective and his point of view. You know, someone uh, had actually uh, sent me an email, an attorney from California, and said, I love your show and I love you guys. He goes, but you got to take it easy on us attorneys. So he's saying sometimes I go a little too far. But you know something? We're cops. We're ball breakers. That's our nature. So we don't leave anyone out. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but I got a message for that attorney. <laughs> Don't forget, we work with attorneys all the time in prosecution side. If you, all prosecutors are attorneys, so we 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 have respect. And listen, there are cases when, like I just, you know, I, I had an attorney follow me into the bathroom after testifying on the stand on a triple murder case, and he tried to give me uh, some nonsense in the bathroom, totally unethical. Something like that, I got no respect for. But in general, attorneys are, uh, you know, listen. There's always negative stuff in any profession, but uh, we work with prosecutors all the time, and they're attorneys, and they're on our side so we really like them 100 joan hale oh now it just moved out of the way it would be natural for brian to leave his wallet and phone behind uh he doesn't want to be found his parents could have bought him fake credentials yeah joan we spoke about that before i mean look i i mean i'm in this world today when i go to the store and forget my cell phone i'm in like a panic <laughs> which is crazy but you know we have this need have 24-7 access to other people and other people that have 24-7 access to us. And I don't know if I'm uh, strange in that way. I guess I'm strange. But uh, does anyone else feel that way? If you go to the store and you forget your cell phone, you're like all, you're all like nervous about it. 
A hundred percent, Bill. That that cell phone is clipped to my side uh, all the time. And when I get in my car, sometimes I'll take it out to stick it to charge it. I have a little holder for it. And if I get out of the car and I run into a store and I don't have it, I feel kind of naked. And I and the funny thing is, being in law enforcement, what goes through my mind is, God forbid, there's a mass shooting in here. I can't even make a call to 911. You know, Phil, I, I think the same thing. I'm like, what if I go into the supermarket and a gunman comes in and I left my phone in the car? Listen, wow. we live in the world where these things happen quite frequently. And, you know, that, that's why I carry my gun because of the fact that, you know, uh, God forbid something happens. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to jump right into action if I could, you know. And uh, so, you know, and, and the, the phone is, is obviously much more important, too, because uh, calling for backup and calling for, God forbid, someone is injured, an ambulance, you know. So uh, we, uh, we think the same way. You know, Phil, we got to Joe Murray because he gave a 499 super chat and he said, I was forced to go to the dark side because of double dipping laws, but I ran for Queens District Attorney in, in 2019. Joe, we love you. You know, we hope you run again for Queens District Attorney. I was just going to say that because there would be no better DA than a guy like Joe Murray that is very fair. He's methodical in his thinking. And he's, you could see he's a constitutionalist and that's what the, 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 the criminal justice system is based on the constitution. And, uh, you couldn't have a better guy for district attorney or any other public office that, uh, I hope he does have, uh, aspirations to, uh, you know, to run for a future office. You know, folks, uh, we've been at this for, uh, two hours and 11 minutes. I just want to sort of give my closing remarks tomorrow night at 6 PM. We have, um, Jimmy Calandra on, who's a Phil. He's from uh, Beth Beach. Beth Beach. Beth, Beth, Beth Avenue crew. Beth, Beth Avenue crew, an organized crime crew. So we're sort of segueing from this case for one night and uh, going to a different, uh, a different genre, sort of uh, organized crime, which uh, on the 15th of September, we had uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano on. So, uh, Jimmy Calandra is another member of organized crime, and he's going to tell some uh, fabulous stories. On the uh, 28th, we have Judge uh, Patricia DeMondo from Hot Bench, and uh, she's going to come on the show, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this case. We're going to talk about Gabby Petito, and we're going to talk about Brian Laundrie, and hopefully there'll be some new things to report on that night. But we're trying to bring you an eclectic mix of real crime stories so we don't just get stale and we don't just jump on a trend, which, we, you know, of course, we're all guilty of this. This is a very, very hot story, and we weren't going to uh, going to. I said going to. I sound like a real New Yorker. We weren't going to uh, ignore this. But, uh, Phil, you have any last words before we say goodbye to everyone? Yes, last words, uh, condolences, prayers for Gabby Petito and her family. God bless her soul. Uh, they're going to be waking her tomorrow night and then probably burying her on Monday. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have Brian Laundry in custody shortly, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, with regard to the show coming up on Sunday with Jimmy Calandra, he was a, uh, a, a real close member of organized crime to a, a very high ranking member of the organized crime family over in uh, Bath Beach, Brooklyn. And uh, he became a cooperator. Uh, we're going to have Tommy Dades on, retired first grade detective who's an organized crime expert. Uh, also on the show. And then to Tuesday show, Judge Pat Patricia DeMango. Uh, I had a uh, personal relationship with her through uh, another good friend, another attorney, a great attorney, Arthur Idala, 
uh, who's uh, a talking head on Fox News. He's on the radio, and uh, he's also uh, close friends with her. She's a great uh, talking head, if you want to call her, or she'll, she'll give a great perspective. She was a Supreme Court judge in Brooklyn, New York for many years. Um, she now does that show hot bench and we're going to be discussing, uh, this case and, and hopefully by then he'll be in custody, Brian. So yeah, we have some great shows coming up. Uh, the, the organized crime side of it. I mean, uh, you know, bringing on somebody that was a cooperator to get the other side of the perspective, I will equate it to, let's say, bringing on a Joe Murray, an attorney to hear the other side of defense, you know? So we're going to have, uh, him on and, uh, you know, the, the September 15th that we did with Sammy the Bull was fantastic. I mean, we saw a side of him that you really haven't seen in the media. Um, and, uh, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be some great shows and we have, we have other things planned for the future as well. And, uh, stay tuned, subscribe and, uh, Thumbs up on that uh, on that YouTube. And uh, one last thing about Joe Murray. There was somebody here, Michelle Martis, put, yes, Joe Murray's girlfriend is a very lucky woman. And I agree with that. Angie, you are a very <laughs> lucky woman. He's a great guy. They're, they're, they're a great couple. They're, they're really, really good people. So uh, looking forward to tomorrow night's show, 6 p.m. with Jimmy Calandra. And I guess uh, thoughts and prayers for the uh, Petito family. You know, folks, before I say goodbye, just one thing. You folks have pushed us. We By the end of this weekend, we should have reached 20,000 subscribers. Put some clapping hand emojis in the uh, in the chat. And it's all you guys have helped us do this. I really want I thank all you. All, folks from all over the world has pu pushed us over the top. And uh, I'm, very I'm very proud of this show. And I think we're just going to get better and better and better. And Josh is saying, yeah, look up the merchandise, too. We see we, we, we got to be pushing everything here. Yeah, if you want to look at our merchandise, go to uh, shop.policeoffthecuff.com. I'm not going to go into everything because we've stayed on longer than we had anticipated. But I just want to thank all of you people. Yeah, look at all those clap emojis for, for putting us over the top. And we're going to continue to give you the best possible real crime stories that we can. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon. And for Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi, have a great day, and thanks for uh, watching us. Thank you, everyone, and stay safe.